Hey, hey, what is up, everybody? Thank you for tuning in to Opening Set Podcast. This is your man, King Most, with John Ray as my producer. Season one, episode seven, with a very special guest. But before we get into all that stuff, here's a little housekeeping. Find us on SoundCloud, Apple, iTunes, MixCloud, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe, like, tell your friends. Once again, thank you so much to so many people that have been hitting us up in real life and online saying we love the show and this was a great combo. Every time I get those messages or I'm told this, it makes us feel really good. So thank you, thank you, thank you. You can find me personally, King Most, SoundCloud, Bandcamp, all that type of stuff. John Ray is the producer under uh, Stank Palmer on IG and John Ray is on SoundCloud as well. All right, now you know where to find us and what to do with us. This is what's going on today. Today's very special guest, my sister from Oakland, California, DJ Nina Soul, a fixture in Oakland, California's music scene, but also Bay Area too in general. You can find her rocking house parties, playing hip hop, playing world music, and doing it very well every time, no matter what. Catch her at Elements with Patrick Wilson and Constellations with the homie One Way and Hey Love. She's also a real deal self-taught music scholar. She knows practically any genre very well from top to bottom, which is very awesome to see. So here's the thing with the podcast, we want to do a podcast where we get as many voices as possible. And we also believe it's the year 2018. It's not female DJ, it's not male DJ. We're just all DJs. It's, it's a very normal, simple thing. But with that being said, Nina Soul drops this really awesome gem about the advantage and power that women have that the rest of the population doesn't. I think we DJ differently and I think it deserves a place alongside all the best DJs regardless of um, sex. And so I think, I don't know, I love female DJs. I think we're dope. I think we're um, very intuitive. I think we listen to music differently. I think we express music differently. And it's just because of patriarchy that we're just in this society where it's not normal or it's, you know, there's all these barriers that get in the way. Further in the convo, we talk about how message boards, yes, message boards definitely shape music. Shout out to the uh, Soul Strut Hollerboard fam if you're listening, also, as well as OK Player that Nina Soul references. Also being a studious scholar of music, a very important and sometimes forgotten and uh, overlooked aspect of being a great DJ. And also the idea that, yes, you can be a working DJ, but you can also turn down gigs. So as we're kind of nearing the end of season one, don't worry, we'll be back. I realize that there's still a lot of more voices that need to be recorded. And also I realize that every DJ's motivation and philosophy is really different. I thought there's maybe only two or three or four, but in this whole series, there's a lot more kind of spirit and drive behind what we all do. So thank you, Nina Soul, for really kind of opening my uh, eyes that there's a lot more to DJing than I think I already knew. As always, you can definitely follow DJ Nina Soul and various kind of social media. Uh, I think on IG, she goes by DJ, like the letter D, the letter J, Nina Soul. And you can see your website at DJNinaSoul.com. And if you're in the Bay Area, go to her nights. She has Constellation, she has Elements, she has very other great gigs as well. She's been killing it. So yeah, you don't have to look very hard to find her. She's, uh, she's very active. All right, that's us. We could go about an hour. We talk about all this good fun stuff. Thank you once again, King Most, John Ray's Opening Set Podcast. Tell a friend, subscribe. Do what you gotta do. All right, thanks. All right, what is up, everybody? Welcome to Opening Set. This is your host, King Most. And today we have a very special guest, my homegirl, San Diego. You got Oakland, but yeah, I'll ask you about that in a second. Show some love to my homegirl, Nina Soul, everybody. Hey, what's up? 
Air horns. Air, we'll put the air horns in afterwards, right, John? Thank <laughs> right you for on. coming through. I wanted to have you, I think when I first started this, because one of the whole purposes of this project is to have as many voices in DJing as possible. Because I think a lot of what is out there, if it's anything at all, it's like a lot of just kind of like Diplo and Tiesto, Steve Aoki throwing cakes and all that fun stuff. And that's about it. And stories like our stories, like the working DJ and people that are just in different levels and different phases of the career. So off the top, when did Nina become Nina Soul? Well, they started calling me Nina Soul probably around like 2008 or so. And before that, I was just running around with records and they were calling me Nina. <laughs> and I wanted to be DJ Soul. Soul. But there was so many of them out there in the world. And I was like, okay, I need to be original. So I think I remember the first time I met you, actually. You said you mentioned 2008. We're doing a gig at... It was me, you, Jacobo, and... Angela. And Chica. Oh, yeah. wait, did you play Jazz Cats? I think I may have done Jazz Cats. Or upstairs or something. It was like upstairs and downstairs. And then I remember something happened where I disconnected the equipment and I totally left you hanging. I didn't know. I just like walked away. You don't, do you remember this? I don't remember that. I mean, I remember Jazz Cats because I started that. Me and Chica started that party. But uh -huh. that's so funny. Was it at Somme? No, 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 no. It was no? way before that. It was like huh. some random party in Petrola Hill. Okay. And then, uh, yeah, and then I just, I felt really, because I didn't know about, I didn't know that I kind of left you hanging equipment wise like days later. I was like, oh, damn, that's such a bad first impression. Yeah. I don't remember. So, so I've, been, I've been carrying all that trauma for no reason. Yeah. Okay, you can right, let well. it go. Yeah. It's all good. <laughs> well, that's a podcast. Everybody, thank you for listening to Opening Said. Once again, thank you for Nina Sloan, I guess. So uh, around 2008, that's when you started. At that point, you were DJing a while, or that was kind of like, okay, I'm going to become a DJ. I'm going to need a name, or what was it? My very first gig was at the Skylark. Um, my homie Kyle at the time was DJing there regularly and he had a Tuesday night that was kind of slow and they just kind of like him and, you know, my other roommates at the time, they had equipment. I had had a few records, but they really pushed me to just get out there and train wreck for everybody to hear. <laughs> <laughs> like no lessons, no like pointers. It was just like, go do it. Throw you in the deep end. Yeah, that was how I got started and just you know, was doing my thing. And I actually remember the first time I met you, though, it was with Spinurita when she did her party. And it was like a Latin. Latin. I like how you're moving like, your shoulders. Lat yeah. I'm like, some of you go <laughs> doing you salsa. Yeah. That was the first time I met you. And that was probably like one of my first like guest appearances, like something that I didn't throw myself. This is kind of quote unquote, the train wrecking era where you just. Probably. I mean, I probably for that gig, I was like fading in and out. I was like playing records uh -huh. and. You're selecting. Yeah. I was selecting. Yeah. There you go. So like you, you weren't phased that. I can't DJ, but yet I'll still DJ. Is that kind of the yeah, mentality? Yeah, it's kind of a trip to me because now I'm like so much more of a stickler and I just didn't know better. I was just like, okay, this sounds good now. <laughs> and like everybody was so nice to me. Like nobody was like, and actually it was my homie, Julian, Manny Black. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That Manny. actually pulled me to the side and taught me how to beat match. Wow. If you didn't say anything, you probably could be, at this point, still be train wrecking. And I very well could be. Yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> I think, yeah, that's kind of another thing we've talked about on this on this podcast is that the idea of like mentorship and yes. someone having to kind of like take you underneath the wing, if not directly, just culturally. Like growing up in the Bay Area, for me, there's a lot of DJs at different types, different levels. So that was kind of my mentorship. Like listening to the radio, going to battles, going to house parties. 
But for you, it was one person. Have you kind of ever thought of doing the same thing to somebody else, taking an up and coming DJ? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I think like, you know, because when I got started, it was probably about like 2006, 2007. There wasn't YouTube. There wasn't like all of these resources that there are now. So in some ways, like when I work with people, I do point them to the resources that are available. And I'm like, here's how you you know, think about phrasing and here's how you, you know, here's the one-on-one basics and then let's get together and I'll, you know, sort of work with you beyond that. But, um, I didn't have that. And I didn't even know any DJs before I moved to the Bay area. Like it was just such a foreign, like I heard DJs on the radio, but I didn't know anybody. And so it was really the Bay Area that was like really rich. And then people just like giving me access. Damn. Because mostly, I mean, I guess most people that DJ at one point because they knew a DJ or they knew someone directly, oh, older brother or neighborhood. But you just, so how'd you find it then? Is it because through mixtapes and radio or? I think I was just a DJ in my heart. Like I think from a young age, I was making mixtapes. I was, you know, making mix CDs. I actually remember when um, I went to college, I took a job in the computer lab specifically because the computer lab knew like which computers had access to like hard drive space. And like this was during Napster days. <laughs> and so like literally I was able to like, you know how you had to like set up the downloads and get them going. And then you like can go and do something else because they would take like hours and hours. For like one MP3. <laughs> exactly. You like wait like a whole night. You wake up and say, oh, I got my MP3. Yeah, I got this job um, rule song. Yay. <laughs> right? I, 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 yeah, I mean, I didn't go to college when everyone else did. So I missed that era, but I know about LimeWire, which came afterwards. Yes. So describe the Wild West. That was Napster. Yes. Oh my Tell God. Tell me a story. Napster and LimeWire. So growing up, I grew up in a really strict home where we weren't really allowed to listen to like commercial music. I mean, of course we did. We snuck and, you know, had Walkmans and stuff, but like we were very, it was like a very church home and we could listen, watch Disney movies and that was about it. So, um, but I was always obsessed with music and I would always figure out going to friend's house or figure out some way to listen. And I think it was during that period of time and just not really having access to anything other than the radio and maybe like a couple of friends that gave me CDs. When I got to college, all of a sudden it was just like, Oh my God, there's so much out there. And so I actually started studying hip hop. I was like going to be like a hip hop historian. And so, but like, that was like my education. I just was on Napster and like downloading like all the old school, like basically reading Nelson George and then like going and downloading all of the albums and all of the artists that I felt I should know and um, were the foundation. And so I think that just led to, you know, okay, so who, uh, where did these samples come from? And like, who were the, who were the people that influenced them? And so then that led to like digging for soul and digging for jazz. And then, okay, player was also like where I hung out all uh, the time. I, I have producer John just like perked <laughs> up. Okay, player. Like, what's so up? So they yeah. have, um, they had these discussion rooms. They had like these chat rooms. And so the lesson, you know about the lesson, John? <laughs> about the lesson. Real quick, okay. OK Player. If, as I think if you listen to this podcast, I think you should know what OK Player is. If not, it's a, the website you can go to right now. Started, what, 90, late 90s, early 2000s? Probably. Yeah, yeah. started by Questlove. Yeah, and I wonder what he does. Whatever happened to him, we don't know. Yeah. But yes, Questlove, <laughs> uh, wherever you're at, I hope you're doing OK. You know, he started as, and it's become this kind of thing. And a lot of successful people have come from 
the rank and file of OK Player, not just musically, but in the music industry, I guess. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And yeah, I guess you were an OK. What was your handle on OK Player? <laughs> I have to. It'll come to me. Okay. It'll come to me. <laughs> you know what? For as, as much times I go and I've been to like the regular site, I actually never looked on the message board part because I knew once I started looking at the message board, I'll get sucked in. At the time, I was already on Soulstra, which is another, which is another message board. And I was on another message board called the Holler Board. I was like, man, <laughs> if I'm on three message boards, I'm too much. I'm, I, yeah, yeah. It, it's done for me. So that's the reason why I, I was like, oh, okay, okay, player. But I know a lot of people that their whole friendships, romantic relationships, musician partnerships, jobs that they have can kind of be traced back yeah. to I okay like player. had a romantic pen pal in London. Yeah, it was that serious. Oh, <laughs> Yeah, my friends thought I was crazy because like that was like that was like online dating before online dating was a thing and they were like what you're talking to people on the internet that's crazy yeah yeah I'm, yeah. I'm like, meeting people from the, like, having internet meetups like you want to oh we should meet up okay and you're like yeah I'm gonna meet up with some guy at Amoeba or, or I don't know <laughs> it's yeah it's just it's strange yeah. but saying it now kind of makes like oh yeah you meet people all the time and you DM them afterwards or yeah dude we were, it was the Wild Wild West back then. It was crazy. Yeah. I had a Black Planet page and it was a tribute to hip hop, to all the elements. And so that's actually, I taught myself coding just so that I could figure out how to have like turntables and like <laughs> B-boys and B-girls and like music lyrics. And just, it was just a hot mess, I'm sure. But I just like, literally I stayed up all night and taught myself coding just so that I could have a fly ass Black Planet <laughs> I should have. I should have stuck with it, man. Could you could still resurrect it. Making money. Yeah, I think. If, yeah, yeah. We were just talking about it earlier uh, off off the mic. If anything, I think MySpace taught us a lot how to code. Like. I know what a bracket is and a forward slash. And, you know, I do my little email blast and when I would do that or update my website, it's like, oh, I know this because I'm like, yeah, yeah. And then the dude who knew that before everyone else was like, yo, what, how'd you do that? And it's like coding, like what? And then, yeah, it was, yeah, that person was the man or the woman that knowing that little, uh, little talent. So I, I kind of want to turn to family. So with music, it was strictly like secular music or pop music or no music at all in your house growing up. I mean, there was definitely like, you know, like my mom listened to like mostly Mexican music. And, um, but of course like Stevie wonder and Nina Simone and, you know, she, she likes soul and I didn't grow up with my dad, but he definitely listened to jazz and funk and soul. And, and, and I actually got a lot of his records later as a young adult. So that shaped me too. But she just like, in terms of like, I mean, hip hop was really what was happening. And I think she shut that down. She really? was like, yeah, no, those the lyrics curse, the curse and the curse words and the, and even just like R&B that was like too sexy. She was just like, nah, like oh, she you can't heard. listen to Y&B. You can't oh, listen she, to like. <laughs> she heard R&B today. It's like, what is, yeah. yeah. I, even I like, I remember when I first started hearing curse words in R&B early 2000s, like it was, I think it was maybe some, well, no, not surprising, but R. Kelly shit. I was like, oh, I didn't know. Okay, I guess we're doing the swearing thing. And then I think what really pushed me over the edge of just, goddamn, was The weekend, like hearing his first stuff. Like, holy shit, this guy's going in. Like, it was like as dirty, quote unquote dirty, as like hip hop shit. And I was like... But like Jodeci, there was like a bunch of like groups in the early 90s that were equally as like, I mean, they were saying all kinds of 
crazy stuff. And so I think that was what my mom was like, the hypersexualized. She was like, no. I think the only difference between now and then, Jodeci, if Jodeci came out today, the song would be called Fucking You instead of Freaking You. And <laughs> exactly. everyone would be okay with it. It would be like, be like, yeah. like the viral Instagram hit, whatever. And it would show up on your Spotify, like, yo, R&B caviar or whatever. Yep. <laughs> so, so hip hop was like, but it's funny because that's like kind of one thing that I think some people gravitate towards too, the thing that parents hated about it, like the filth and like the roughness or things like that. But I remember having that argument with my parents too. Like, oh, it's so filthy, it's dirty. But like, yeah, that's like the best part. But you're not, you're like, this is my heritage. Yeah, like, there's a groove, <laughs> and it's like, and there's beats, and there's jazz, and there's scratching, mm-hmm. and it's all that stuff. So in college, that was hip hop was kind of the gateway. And this, I think, it's a lot of people of our generation. Like hip hop was a big opening for like everything else. Like everything else. Jazz, soul, reggae, Latin music. Exactly. All, all and and then I, one of my best friends in college, um, she was Ghanaian mm-hmm. and her brothers, she had a bunch of brothers by way of London. Like we would go up to LA and like spend weekends there and literally like they exposed me to like broken beat, house music, like soulful house. So that was also like an entry into like this whole other world. And so I think because I got access to everything almost all at once, I didn't really have, I mean, I guess in some ways, like you could say West Coast hip hop or West Coast rap was like my foundation because that's what I grew up listening to on the radio and like maybe the records around my house. But like really like my college years were when I immersed myself with literally as much music as I could get my hands on. Like I was just like, give it to me, give it all to me. And like, I remember even like, having like the wisdom as like a young dumb person like to be like I don't really understand that but I'm not gonna get rid of it like I'm just gonna hold on to it and one day like this Fela stuff I don't know you know like I'm sure it was something like that you know where it was just like I don't really get this and I just brought all that music with me when I moved up to the Bay Area and like it was very lonely the first couple years I lived here so literally all I did was stay home and play music or go to the record store and so I had a lot of time to just play around and practice. Yeah, and pra- I, I wasn't really, I didn't have equipment, but I was definitely like listening to music, digging, uh-huh. reading about it. Damn. So you were basically, you had, you were just ready. You were just a music fan and all you need to learn was like the technical part of it. And then you, that was it. And it was just, okay, I know the music, I know the records. And once I learn how to mix, you know, the Holy Trinity of kind of DJing is ready. Yeah, I mean, I I wish I could say like I planned it that way, but yeah, that's kind of how, yeah, I I hadn't really looked at it like that. But yeah, I just kind of, I just kind of fell into it. And because I was already into playlists, like I had playlists for every occasion. I was always making playlists for, you know, friends and lovers and like whatever it was. And whenever I met someone, like I wanted to impress them, like I would make them a playlist. And they'd always be like, oh my God, I never heard this song or. Yeah, we've, I've done that. I remember. I remember I dropped off a mix CD to a girl and uh, it didn't. That was about it. Like, yeah, it just never, nothing ever happened. But we've all, we've all been there. We've all fallen flat on our face with the, with the, with the mixtape. Um, yeah. So, yeah, so you're doing playlists. And then when you started DJing out, did you start throwing parties right away? Cause that's another thing I know you as someone that does organize these events. Were you DJing around, but doing, doing your own events or what? So the first event I did was Jazz Cats and that was with my girl Chica and she and I had started DJing together and she was really, really heavy in the jazz and a lot of the um, classic and modal and I was kind of more into like the 70s like space like Herbie Hancock, Donald Byrd and so I was like, yo, like we should do a party and um, you know, like you play 
the stuff that you want. I'll play the stuff I want. And then also wanted to like make the connections to hip hop and to house and to places where jazz shows up unexpectedly. And then we brought in other selectors. And so we brought in um, Jacobo and we brought in Wazir and Kento and, you know, just a bunch of the homies at the time. And um, we did that at 222 Club. Oh, Tutu Hyde. Yeah. yeah, which is something else now. Yeah. For there's a lot of people in the Bay Area that are not outside the Bay Area that don't know like these names, these places. These were kind of guys that were actually were big parts of the scene that kind of created like if you were doing underground left left field obscure music, those are the dudes that would throw parties, organize spaces, and just kind of curate that kind of whole thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Tutu Hyde was this like would you say it a death trap because it was just yeah. that one room in the hallway and then yeah. that was about it okay it felt yeah basement it, yeah situation but it was kind of dope and it fit like what 40 people maybe yeah they had a nice sound system for a, a small period of time and then it got bought out or swapped out or yeah. something i want to say those people became something with that became monarch oh, okay yeah like that sound system traveled to like whatever monarch was before and then, yeah, I think it's currently there. But I remember it was like a crazy top of the line sound system in this little ass, probably the size of the studio. Exactly. And it's kind of there. Yeah, that was our spot. Yeah. So talking about parties, like tell me, like what makes a party, What's what are the strengths of the party and how do you kind of build those strengths up? You know, because I know you also do you, jazz cats, you also do constellations, you do the party with Patrick Wilson, you've done, what are some other things? Uh, those are kind of your main two right now, right? Yeah, yeah. I think for me, it always starts with some sort of theme or some sort of message and something I want to convey, you know, I want to bring to the community. So, I mean, with Jazz Cats, it was very specifically that. And I was really excited by the fact that we had people that would come early and just like sit back and have a drink and just want to vibe out. And then we would have a different crowd that would come a little bit later and would want to dance. And so I think that was cool. That was cool to me. I was like, yeah. I just want to have something that's like really meaningful and really about the music first and foremost, because I think that's what my role is. Like, I feel like I'm a conduit and we have to promote ourselves as DJs so that we, you know, have work. But really, I mean, I see myself as that conduit. And so I think for me, I get really excited about a theme and kind of nerding out and doing research and thinking about how I can put sounds and genres together in unexpected ways. And so usually that's what drives me to start a party. And then I think you just have to find those early adopters and those folks that are willing to kind of take that ride with you before it's cool or before it's like the happening. It's the cracking party yeah. to go to. Yeah. yeah. Like they're just like, oh, okay, I get what you're doing. This is dope. And I'm going to come and I'm going to tell my friends. And then I think obviously sound system is like absolutely essential. I mean, with both elements and constellations we bring our own sound and you know i think that that also just adds like a whole nother element because unfortunately in oakland we don't always have venues that have invested and have strong sound systems so you know i think having that full experience also makes the music sound that much better and so something that they may not have danced to because they didn't really get the fullness of the song or the production i think a good sound system can actually convey that. So I think that's the other kind of critical piece. Yeah. Was it kind of frustrating at first, like thinking like, damn, this party, like it's kind of fell short because the sound system isn't good. Would you, would you kind of like figure that out firsthand? 
Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've had a lot of experiences. I mean, I think also like when I think about the transition from playing vinyl to Serato, then it's like harder to control the quality. Yeah. I'm disappointed when the music doesn't sound yeah. as good as I know it could be. Yeah. And especially yeah. since like quality music that you've, like that you just said, you spend hours researching, you develop a theme. It's like, oh, this brilliant one of a kind song sounds terribly. Shitty. Yeah. And yeah, I always wonder like if a sound system is bad and you play a song that's not as known, I wonder if that kind of causes people to be like, can you play something we know? Like, I wonder if that makes people like, can you play something more familiar? And yeah. I think so. I think it's that. And I also think it's the groove. I think it's also like, you know, and I've seen you do this. I mean, you have to give them something familiar. You have to give them something palpable. And then once you get them, then you can like start to kind of vibe and build off of that. And as long as you keep it in the groove, then I think you're good. And hopefully you can avoid that. Yeah. Yeah, play that. something we know. Yeah, uh, that's. Can you play something new? That was one that we got. Yeah, uh, this is new. You just don't know. Yeah, yeah. and yeah, actually, this came out last week. Yeah, actually, this, this is the test pressing. Yeah, yeah. Right. I just made this right. I just bounced it from Ableton. Right. No one's heard this. This is this is like the newest thing ever. It's like oh, you just basically want, and it's really just code for I want to hear whatever the current like big pop songs are you have to kind of like fish it out of people a little bit it's like i know what you're trying to say but i want you to say it because right. i'm just gonna i'm just trying what to do you mean by that yeah exactly <laughs> it's almost like oh it's kind of you know like mm-hmm. no i don't know i know what you know but i want you to say it so you can, say how, you can hear how stupid you are so in parties how important is also having like a strong team or a cast because i know with constellations with hey love in one way and then with patrick wilson is it kind of more everyone's equal footing or is everyone kind of like you have your strength, I have my strength, that person has his strength, or how does it work? Yeah, I've been part of a couple of different collectives, and I think at the end of the day, what I realize is chemistry is the most important thing, and just compatibility, and I think... Like on a musical or on a personal level? All of the above. I think I've been in events with people that I love and adore, but like the music doesn't really vibe, and it's like there's not like enough crossover. So I think that's important too. Yeah, with Constellations, like, we just love each other so much. We really do. And we started out doing a totally different party. It was called On the Corner at AU Lounge. Um, You know, it ran its course. It wasn't really the right venue for the sound we were trying to bring. And so we were kind of bummed because we were like, okay, you know, but this is great. This has been really cool. And then we just were kind of kicking it at Melissa's house and came up with the idea of doing constellations honoring artists born under the zodiac sign and so Mm. we just like got on our laptops and started doing like all this research and you know started being like okay but who did they produce and who did they sample and just realized that we actually had a really robust roster of music that we could build on each month and so i think we all have our natural strengths i think it's important to have someone that you know i think we're all pretty good about promotion but i think in any combination you got to have that person that is like going to get the word out, going to get the flyer, going to, you know, kind of handle all of that. And then I think, yeah, I think we just kind of naturally just pick up different roles, whether it's handling the business, handling, you know, the um, sound and making sure that we have the right equipment. And I think I'm lucky that in both constellations and elements, I mean, we actually have a sound team, you know, we have Vern and Paul, Uh, my homies, and they like actually come in and handle like, like, I mean, they get their like, 
three hours early and they're like, you know, making sure we have perfect low end and, you know, speakers in all the right places. And so I'm just like eternally grateful to those guys because then me and Patrick are just kind of able to focus on the music. Yeah. So let's say with somebody like Patrick or playing with one, like how does the whole thing when I get the text, like, oh, what time? How are we doing it tonight? Like, who does 9 to 10, 10 to 11, 11 to 12, 1 to 2? Is that always kind of like, uh, is that always kind of like a weird question? Or is it all just... No, we kind of just flow and figure it out. I mean, for a while, because we had different schedule, um, like, you know, certain people might have a gig. And so they were only able to get there at a certain time. And One. So- um, well, actually, no, it was actually Melissa. I think Melissa had a gig right before. Yeah, we just kind of fill it out. I mean, we really like to go record for record at a certain point in the night. Um, and that's always fun and really fluid. But um, yeah, there's no not really a lot of awkwardness. It's just, you know, on, on the other hand, with elements like I actually am like, I would like to open for you, Patrick, because <laughs> you're my teacher, my mentor. And I get so much from that experience from like setting the table, building the night. Like I love opening and like really kind of seeing him get excited with each record. And then I feel like I've done, you know, my job. And and of course, you know, there's times when our schedule, you know, I have, we have to switch it up. But. Yeah, do prime time, like 12 to one or what? Yeah. A, a night where, or part of the night where you're not as focused on the warm up. I, yeah. That, I think the warm up to me is always a good sign. It's a good showing of like, what a DJ is really about because there's no pressure for you to have to like crush it but it's also a good time to see like A, do you understand like DJ culture and like nightlife culture like people get there at 10 o'clock they're not quite ready to turn up or let loose so do you understand that and do you, can you stick to it do you have, and do you have enough do you have enough music that fits that kind of like it's not quite a banger it's not a quite anthem or hit but it's not also it's not like super, it's not like boring, I'm just killing time type of thing. Yeah. So yeah, I kind of miss that because that's one thing like me, like when I DJ, I'm basically DJing four hours by myself. Mm-hmm. So warm up is just, I know what my warm up <laughs> is, but I don't know what. This is me warming up right now. Yeah, yeah. I'm just, I'm just playing. Yeah, whatever warm up is to we me. We are now turning up. Yeah, okay. It's 11.15. <laughs> here, right? here comes the turn up. Right? Yeah. The, the gradual <laughs> incline at 12 yeah. o'clock is like, ah. Yeah. yeah. Do you ever like look at the clock and thinking, damn, all right. I'm, I, do you feel like your DJ sets are kind of, I don't know, depending on what time the of night it is, like, okay, it's one o'clock or it's 12 o'clock. I should be doing this at this time. Or you just say, screw it and go with the flow. Well, it depends. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, with Element, it's funny because, you know, of course, we're on the West Coast and the clubs close at 1.30. <laughs> one, and yeah, 1.50. Yeah, yeah. In some ways, like we actually have to squeeze as much life out of the entire time that we have. So I used to take 45 minutes to kind of slowly build up and I would, you know, start at 100 and, get, you know, and now, um, you know, I'll play like maybe like four or five warm-up songs and then I'm kind of going in because people will start dancing immediately. Yeah, because and it's house so, music too. And, well, and it's house music. Yeah, so. what's warm-up when you say 100 BPM? That's like such not, normally I would think, or a lot of people think is the house tempo. Most house tempo is like 116 to 128. Yeah. yeah, or maybe even a little fat, like 120, 128, something like that. What's yeah. 100? What's the 100 warm-up record or a I few mean, of those? Like, I'll play like, you know, like a triple P record or like, you know, maybe like a DJ spin edit, something that's got like some bottom end and um, maybe a record, like a disco record that, oh, okay. you know, of course, because I'm on the mic now, I'm not, not going to be able to tell Name you some. those records. 
But, but um, is everything kind of four on the floor? Like even like aside from the disco, even like the R&B or kind of. Yeah, this, yeah. Yeah. It's definitely got a little bottom. And we started out at Luca's. And so when we were at Luca's, I felt like that was a little bit more necessary for that crowd. Now that we're at Bisa Baobab, folks are kind of like wanting to immediately hear Afrobeat or like, you know, like they're kind of used to that venue playing certain things. So I think I can jump in a little bit sooner. But for other parties, it's interesting because I think up until like even last year, like I plan out my sets. Oh, nice. So like. So you still give a shit. <laughs> thank you. Thank like, you for being one of the few. Yeah. No, like, I'm one I mean, of the few, but thank and you. And honestly, yeah. the reason I do that is because I feel like a little insecure about my DJ skills. And I feel like sometimes the ability to act on the fly and like switch things up. I don't know. Sometimes I get nervous around that. And, you know, specifically like if someone plays your record, if someone plays like the record that I was going to play, that that was going to be like my thesis statement. So then I'm like, okay, I have to make sure I'm playing records that probably most other people are not going to play. But in order to do that, you have to like kind of weave it all in together in a way that makes sense. And depending on the party and depending on the dance floor, you have to be skillful in the way that you do that. So I think last year, I fortunately got to the place where I had just a lot of I had regular gigs. I was gigging all the time and I just didn't have time to prepare sets. So I just found myself just having to pull from, you know, what was there and read the crowd. And uh-huh. was there a couple of times where like, I'm doing great. And other times where like, I'm struggling. Oh, Absolutely. That might have happened like two weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> At what, the, the Pete Rock thing or no? No, the Pete Rock thing was cool. Yeah. Yeah. I, re- I mean, I definitely started off really slow. I mean, it was, I started off with like maybe 20 people in the room and in a big room. Yeah. So, Starlight Social Club. Yeah. But that was fun. Yeah. I started off just playing samples. Like, the jazz stuff. So you're kind of like group. circling back to the whole Jazz Cats thing. So that kind of knowledge you had in your back pocket comes useful six seven years later yep, yeah yeah <laughs> and that's i think it's cool I, two things i like about that because you first you can admit that you know i kind of struggled a little bit i think a lot of DJs when some djs would be like oh i killed it oh the crowd sucked it's their fault they never kind of take never be secure enough to admit like yo i kind of slipped or whatever but also having that like i just said that kind of that knowledge of something and it's kind of in your dna for a long while and you pull it out and it still makes sense at a different gig down the line Yeah, I think the groove is so important to me. That's what it comes down to. And I think, you know, especially, you know, folks like ourselves, we play so many different styles of music and genres. And I think it might make sense to us, but does it make sense to the dance floor and to that person that's like, you know, trying to get close to somebody or whatever. And you see them kind of grooving. If you switch it up too abruptly, then you know, you've killed the groove. And so for me, it's like, I think part of the reason why I would plan sets is because I want to make sure that that momentum is right. And it's like, okay, you got to have that break so you can bring in this like totally different Brazilian joint, you know, that's, that could come across a little too abrupt if you don't ease them in. And so I think that's kind of more how I think about it is that like, oh, I might have I might have um, threw, threw them off. I might have totally threw them off, and I just lost them. Like everybody was dancing, and then they're kind of like, "Oh, let's oh, go get that's a drink." The worst, dude. <laughs> oh my god, that is like really the worst. Okay, can thing. I tell you what happened to me at ten fifteen? Uh, no, of course not. Please no, no, yeah, of course, yeah, <laughs> no, no. I'll just go. I was at ten fifteen. By the way, ten fifteen Folsom is a. It's probably one of the doper clubs in the Bay Area. I think shout out to Dials. He does so many 
ill bookings. Like he had Madlib one night, and then like what are you, the next? Moody night? Man, Eric Badu, Thundercat, but like and then he also selection, have, like just but then, yeah, he has the cool shit we like, and he has this kind of more mainstream kind of festival centric kind of electronic music. And this was the Grand Theft Auto night, G- GTA night. Yeah, you're talking about okay. Who's he's like mad decent and does like kind of big room bangers, all that shit. Yeah, so, so it was really really cool party. Was really excited to do it. So I'm there playing. I'm playing the global bass night. So I'm playing, you know, I don't know. I started off with like Childish Gambino and like remixes and stuff like that. And, you know, I'm playing and we're, you know, people are moving, people are dancing. And then all of a sudden, like, I don't know what I played, probably Rihanna remix or something and literally everybody walked out <laughs> and I was like, so at a global wait. base party and actually from like the Caribbean <laughs> okay everybody but then I figured out why so what was it it was because the car had hit a fire hydrant across the street and so it started flooding the main room oh shit and so they literally kicked everybody out so it was like kind of awkward because they were like well can you turn it down a little bit because I was like well I'm gonna keep playing because you know, and then I had my friend outside that was like trying to get in. They were like, they're not letting anybody in. They might have to shut it down. God damn. But then uh, everybody ended up going upstairs. So they're all like looking down at me from the patio. Oh, so you're in the big was, main room. I was in the main room. Dude, when that room is empty, it's fucking empty. It's, <laughs> you feel it. You feel it. So pretty much I was like, okay, well, there's people here and there's people dancing and there's people watching me. So I'm not going to stop. Yeah. yeah and yeah, I'm going to yeah. turn it back up. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. that's what I did. But it was really funny because I had that panic moment where I was just like, everybody's leaving. Why? And the, you know, there's, there's two other rooms of music. So yeah. I wasn't like mad at them. I was like, oh, like maybe they want to check out the other Maybe Jay Boogie's <laughs> playing a different room. Rihanna song. Yeah, exactly. It's just <laughs> hitting. Yeah, his Ponda replay edit just slaps a little harder. Yeah, your Ponda yeah. replay, you know, in your face. Uh, so we, you mentioned only about, you know, sound system in, in Oakland. And Oakland, obviously, in the past, like, five, six years has gone through crazy. It's, yeah, I go regularly, and even I can't recognize it. And I just feel like growing up in the Bay Area, I kind of have an idea firsthand about how Oakland is and was. What is it like DJ in Oakland now compared to Oakland when you first started getting your stripes? Gentrification has pushed out a lot of the artists, a lot of the people of color. And so I think the parties that used to have a lot of soulfulness, a lot of that, yeah, just used to always be very, very diverse. Like just everybody from all around the globe. I mean, Oakland is like such a diverse, was like one of the most diverse places I've been. And that's what's hard, I think, is you're seeing like a little bit more of a whitewashed crowd. And, you know, folks come out and people are there, you know, and there's pockets and there's places where folks are at. But I think in terms of like, you know, at least some of the venues that I've been playing at, you definitely are seeing a drastic shift. Okay. And is your kind of sound and what you're playing shifting as well? Or you're like, this is what I'm going to play? At? No, because they usually love it. Oh, They're okay. like, oh, this is what this is what it's about. Oh, this, this is, is oh, this is Oakland. <laughs> oh, this is amazing! I never heard anything. I get my nine dollar like bread next door and go dance at <laughs> Data Soul. Damn, you're lucky because living in San Francisco and DJ in San Francisco, I definitely had to a little more. Yeah, I, I didn't get really any mercy from crowds as they became more whitewashed. It was like you had to start playing more like the obvious sing along classics, and after a while, just like I'm good. You get tired of that stuff. So 
props to you for kind of, I mean, you have to always still like work it and still like work hard, but you know, again, at the mercy of some new people to the area. Well, and I also try to be upfront and clear, like if it's not my party, if it's a promoter or something with this is what I do, like this is, you know, what I don't do. Like, especially like I get a lot of people that like ask me to do weddings or things like that. Oh, we talked about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I just care a lot. I just care really deeply. And so I just would not want to like mess up someone's magical day and, you know, experience. And they want me to play records that I just will not play or I just don't have and I just will not download. You know, like I just honor and respect that is very different. And we, you know, we talked a little bit about this before we started that it's one thing when you're relying on DJing for income you know, and paying the bills versus when you're doing it for fun and, you know, you kind of have other income streams. So I imagine, you know, that might change or, you know, it's different in certain situations. Yeah. So currently your occupation, your day job is, explain it to me. Sure. I'm trying to explain it to myself. (laughs) (laughs) So um, basically I've worked for the last eight years supporting entrepreneurs with making their dreams happen. And so supporting them primarily with raising capital and um, mostly with impact investment. And so these are investors that care not just about financial return, but also social impact and environmental impact. And so a lot of the folks that I support are hiring the formerly incarcerated or aged out foster youth or are just people of color that are taking care of the community and are creating products and solutions for our communities and really addressing income and wealth inequality. And so that's what my mission is. And I do that by supporting um, small businesses. That's what I do. And I'm, you know, in a fellowship right now and you know, learning about a lot of different aspects of investment and capital and um, just trying to figure out how to bring it all together. So having this kind of uh, like occupation isn't like a day job. It's like a, it's more meaningful than a day job. Are you kind of slowly phasing that out or you're trying to balance it out between DJing or? Well, I think up until two weeks ago, I was working like an, a full time job. And so now I'm doing freelance work. So I think it's going to be a little bit more balanced, I think. And does that kind of change your optics on DJing now? Or is it kind of like still, is, are you still going to treat and hold DJ the same way? Or is it going to be a little different? You guys maybe start doing the wedding gigs, maybe? Maybe, uh-huh. maybe. I mean, I actually did a couple of weddings last year that worked out really well. And I think part of it was I took the time to like really get to know the bride and groom. And like we talked a lot. And fortunately, there was enough overlap. Like they wanted me to play just like, a couple of songs that I wouldn't have played otherwise. Uh, and I was like, just like... <laughs> name names. Let's hear some songs. Come on. Um, I'm pretty sure it was some reggaeton or like something that I was just like, really? Oh, you don't got love for this. Don Omar? Huh? Is that how it is? I, just, I don't know. I feel like I have a lane, you know? And it's not that I don't like the music or appreciate the music or if I was out dancing, like I wouldn't like stop dancing. Like, because... every, like it's Rihanna's song? <laughs> like, like, yeah, yeah. Like that. Like that. I think it's more just like I have my lane and I know what I can do. And I there's just certain things I feel like other people could do better than, uh-huh. than I could. And Don Omar is not the Nina Soul lane. Whatsoever. That just wasn't. Yeah, it was just. Yeah, it was just a little. And there was some other stuff on there, too. But for the most part, I find that like as long as they want soulful music and they trust that I can bring that, then 
usually I can get by. So I did do a couple of weddings last year that went well. That kind of made me be like, well, maybe. But I think it just has to be the right fit. That's all. Yeah. You're not like me. Like, oh, you got a wedding? What do you want? You want Ed Shireen? Got it. Coming through. <laughs> Coming through. I got, I, I got a mic. Don't worry. Yeah. How do you, uh, the Johnsons? Everybody give it up for uh, Melissa and David Johnson. All right. Lovely couple. And I do a little more energetically than that, but that's sometimes how it is. Other times it's like, I'm doing a wedding in a couple of weeks where it's, the husband is from Philly. The uh, the wife is from here, and they want me to do like a special Philly versus Bay Area rap set. So like, you know, we want Schoolie D, we want Roots, we want PD Crack versus Kick the Sneak and Hyro. I'm like, okay, this is the dope weddings. You know? That's legit. Yeah, and yeah. I've done weddings where like, yeah, uh, we're gonna we want to walk down the aisle to like you know Todd Terrier, Inspector Norris. I'm like, oh shit, okay, you could you know. Then we sometimes become friends afterwards. Or we see each other at parties, but yeah. other times it's just yeah, they just kind of want Bruno Mars and. Beyonce and Journey and you're like, all right, cool. It's sometimes whitewashed, but my landlord don't know. <laughs> you don't care. Exactly. Oh, this is that Rich Medina gig money. Okay, yeah. I can accept this. <laughs> Not that other corporate bullshit. Get that shit out of here, man. Turn totally, that, yeah, totally. fuck all that. Respect, man. Yeah, Respect. I mean, it, it's something I just kind of fell into and, you know, we'll see where it goes, you know. So speaking of, I said where it goes, where do you kind of want this to go for you next? Now that you're kind of, you know, still doing the day job thing and also DJing a lot more. You've been doing, like the past two years, I've seen you like super grow and do these crazy high profile gigs. Very well deserved because, again, you almost a decade at this point. So where do you kind of want this to kind of go in the next year? Let's say next year or two, career-wise. Yeah, it's a good question. I feel like I want to really kind of, I don't know, there's a part of me that's always going to just play a little bit of everything all the time. And there's definitely a part of me that wants to kind of like start to like hone in on maybe certain scenes or certain genres and I feel like there's a lot of confusion. I'll get like people thinking that I can't do certain things or they'll be like, oh, but doesn't she just play house music? And uh, like, that's, yeah. 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 And so I find that like I'm typecasted. And so part of it is controlling the narrative. And so I've also been thinking more about like starting a radio show or maybe having some platform. Um, I mean, I definitely really want to learn production I hit you up yeah, after this <laughs> um, because I think that that's also a way to kind of just like be like, this is actually the sound that represents um, me. And so I think that, you know, part of it is just time. I think it's just like, I mean, it's a lot of time just to like stay on top of music and, you know, I mean, I kind of have an addiction. I'm like constantly digging. Yeah. We wouldn't be doing this. <laughs> we wouldn't know each other. We would, we would know if we weren't, we were just kind of like casually into music. We're, you know, we're lifers. Yeah. I mean, we had a guest a couple of episodes back. He said that term. Oh yeah. If you're a music lifer, you have nothing to worry about. And I was like a lifer. That's such, that's, that's really how it is. So what are some genres you want to like, I can flex this genre too. Yeah, I think house, but even like more like electronic. And I think, you know, I really love some of the music that's coming out of Detroit and Atlanta and um, just like stuff that I don't really hear people playing out here as much. And I think that it's just like soulful techno, basically. Mm. And like real techno. Exactly. Yeah, not, exactly. Not a dude. I know from, because you know. Yeah, that's, you don't you got just, to. Yeah, no. I you, I, everyone yeah. when the everyone on the flyer looks like a dude from Game of Thrones, <laughs> you're like, this is not techno not, music. Yeah. This is something. You this is Heinrich so and so. Explain it. <laughs> yeah, the no. It's like that thing you're talking about. The narrative gets switched yeah. all of a sudden. Yeah. It's like, and then all of a sudden, it's like reverse. It's like now people, let's say, with the exception, say Moody Man and Theo, 
everyone that's kind of like representing real Detroit techno or black techno, they're kind of seen as, what is this? Like, yeah. And you have to kind of, yeah, it's almost maddening. It's like, it's like everything's reversed. Like that is a style, but it's not the definitive style. It's not the definitive narrative of this type of genre. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I, so I get excited about that and I don't have as many places where I can play that. And then, um, I've been doing just like a lot of, I guess, for lack of a better term, like global. Mm-hmm. Even <laughs> I don't know how to describe I it. Like, yeah. I don't know what I to say call global it. bass. Global bass, but it's like electronic music, but it's got like, you know, it's by your funk. It's like, you know, it's Cuban, it's South African and Guam and just like all these sounds that to me like kind of go together and make a lot of sense. But I wouldn't really know how to describe to yeah, someone. It's yeah. definitely made me hungry to like go back and be like, okay, so like, how did this start, and what records influenced that? And go, so go back to your okay player Napster exactly. kind of mindset. Yeah, like See? go on a tour, like go to South America, like oh, try you're to talking learn. About f- literally go, not just virtually, but yeah, no, like wow. go and just like for me, it's like I really want to. I feel like a responsibility when I play certain records. Like I want to actually know enough about the record or the artist or the genre or the time period to really do it justice. And I find that sometimes like, especially in this like age of SoundCloud where it's like so easy to just like download something and you're like, this sounds cool. And you're like able I, to I play I see 20 it. songs that sound something <laughs> yeah, like this. Yeah, like this. The kind of good There's a shaker. Okay, yeah. it's global. Like, wait, fuck <laughs> And so I think there's a part of me that is also just like really curious about like the diaspora. And obviously there's like African folks all over, you know, Latin America and the Caribbean. And so how that all comes up and shows up and how it all fits together. So I think I'm curious about that. I had a really I've had some really fun sets um, that I've done over the last couple of years that kind of like started that process and kind of like digging into like even just like, you know, since Nigeria and Ghana and like all these compilations that have come out where it's like, you know, disco and boogie and funk and it sounds so similar to music that was coming out in the US like, you know, James Brown heavily influenced and so it definitely has made me curious about like, huh, like we're getting this spoon fed to us through this compilation but like, are there other countries are there other places where we have a similar sound and how do we tie those together and tell that story like I think that also excites me yeah actually sure. when I had Rich Medina on, on a previous episode we kind of talked about compilations towards the end and all these compilations that we both enjoy they're usually always done by like British like white men white here and so I feel there's I don't know I think my issues are kind of I feel sometimes things get lost or little subtleties that if you're not of that heritage or lineage or some type of connection, yeah, it gets forgotten, overlooked, and it's such, and it, it could tell a fuller story or tell like a whole different part of the story we never even thought of. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's kind of, that's kind of the same thing I do. Like, we all do our little like kind of researching and trying to find the dots to connect to, but I think that's dope. We're actually trying to go like literally to places and know the top, the A to Z about a very specific random genre and stuff. I think my dream has always been, how can I travel the world and DJ? And I think the thing that excites me is that when you travel, like the first thing I do is go to the record shop or (laughs) I find the people that know where the, where the person has the records. And I feel like that's like such an intimate way to get to know an area, usually just even the conversations that you have in the record store or the person that took you there and coupled with like, why do they have so many 
you know, yeah. Al Jarrell records here. Like that's so random or like whatever it is. Yeah. Like you just, you know, it makes you curious. And then, you know, you ask questions and maybe you find some piece of history that makes sense. And so I think I, I definitely, I love to travel. I love to travel internationally. And so I think um, collecting music and kind of bringing those stories together um, is another piece of it. Yeah. I think I, I went to Austin last weekend and the first day I was there, I spent like three, four hours in a record store and I felt like such a, like, I'm here like, oh, what do you do in Austin? And oh yeah, I, I was, I bought two records after four hours. <laughs> Are you think, did you go barbecuing? Did you go to the deal? I'm like, no. Uh, yeah. It, but usually that's how you'll find out where the best barbecue is. Like usually yeah. you'll find out where, you know, like I just feel like it's such a hub Especially, I mean, as a DJ yeah. specifically, but yeah. yeah. And then the next day I was asking at another record store, like, what records, you know, do you want or don't come in? Like, oh, we don't get it in this in Austin. So we get, we have a lot of soul funk, you know, Tejano music from, you know, parts of Mexico. But yeah, we don't get a lot of jazz. We don't, we, we don't get a lot of Ethiopian or world music because Austin at the time was, when this stuff was coming out, didn't even really exist. So that's a big hole in there. In, but if you go to other parts, even you know, the country, it's like, oh, we have tons of Afrobeat because as a, you know, X, Y, Z, we have tons of reggae because a lot of folks from, you know, Jamaica live here at one point did. So yeah, there's almost kind of, you kind of deduct from like what's missing to explain a story. Like, well, so there's no world music. That means there's no immigrants from other parts of the globe coming here in Austin from oh, 19. Maybe their neighborhood got burned down. You know? Shit, yes. <laughs> yeah. Like, like so minute. like yeah. Black Wall Street shit. Like get the fuck out. Right. We'll torture you right. because you guys are doing well. So, yeah. um, And then last question. Um, I know it's such a good, uh, you know, it's, I think it's an important question to your story as well. We're talking about narrative and obviously you, you identify as a woman and you, and you DJ that. That's like such a big thing right now in DJing, like the female DJ. What are like the pros and cons of that narrative going on right now? I guess I haven't been following the narrative per se, but I think it's a huge advantage. I think women are dope. I think we DJ differently and I think it deserves a place alongside all the best DJs regardless of um, sex. And so I think I don't know. I love female DJs. I think we're dope. I think we're um, very intuitive. I think we listen to music differently. I think we express music differently. And it's just because of patriarchy that we're just in this society where it's not normal or it's, you know, there's all these barriers that get in the way. And um, it's definitely challenging when the majority, I know for me coming up, like part of the reason why I definitely did try to get mentorship at different points, but, you know, there's always like, kind of that element and um, that sexual element and like, you know, feeling like, you know, no, I actually just really want to learn, but like, you know, you have to deal with some bullshit. And so I think that's probably the downside, but I also know that there's a lot of really dope dudes that have, you know, like my brothers, Patrick, Wazir, Paul, Vern, Rob, Dadon, like all of them just kind of have taken me under their wing and have, whether it's given me access or shared music or whatever, like all of that is really meaningful because that's allowed me to like kind of exist and kind of stay because I think, yeah, I don't have as many, I mean, I have my DJ friends, but I don't have as many like really, really close friends, you know, like I think I have a totally different circle of friends that aren't DJs. And so I think that camaraderie and that, that access really at the end of the day, I mean, that's built on relationships. Yeah. And and we're kind of talking about earlier about the whole Bitcoin thing, like access is a, is a huge thing. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that can totally, again, kind of create the narrative of what well, you'll know about five, 10 years later when it's kind of something else. It's already moved to something else too. 
So, yeah, I, I think, um, yeah, it's so weird because it's awesome to finally see that the story isn't just like, again, the Steve Aoki Diplo of the world. It's now a lot of different voices. Mm-hmm. It's not your voice, my voice, people like Espinosa, Rich Medina. They're in different age groups, different economic backgrounds, different cities. And I think slowly more and more things are coming to focus. And like, I'm like, it's only taken like 35 plus years though. <laughs> we'll get there. I mean, we're, and again, but there's still a lot of stories that haven't been, I don't get exposed and people, I guess the general population doesn't even think about yet. So thank you for coming through and sharing your story and Thank you know, you helping us me. push us along a little more to more an ideal the story of what's happening in DJ culture. I appreciate it. Thanks yeah, for me. yeah, and we'll get some fancy bread and yeah, yeah, and we'll, some umami, not from a uh, not from rat hair. Squeeze. <laughs> 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 like rat hair? What are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> so thank you very much, Nita. All right. Yay! Thank you. <laughs>